0: Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your host, Katie, and this is episode 199. Now, carbohydrates tend to always be the bad guy, and I thought it would be fun today to bring on fellow dietitian, Sarah Schlichter, to talk all things carbohydrates. Sarah is a registered dietitian with a master's in public health. She co-hosts the sports fueling podcast, Nail Your Nutrition, and is passionate about helping athletes fuel adequately and blending the principles of sports nutrition with intuitive eating. Sarah also owns and operates the blog and brand Bucket List Tummy, which helps inspire easy recipes and meal ideas and disseminate disseminate evidence-based information. Now, Sarah and I talk all things carbohydrates, so what exactly they are, why do we need them, why do we need them as active women? What's the minimum amount of carbohydrates that we need? We talk about nutrient timing, all sorts of these things. So I really think that you're going to get a lot of golden nuggets from today's episode. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies. I am on a mission to help you redefine the word fit, to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Sarah, welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. We're so happy to have you.
1: I'm so excited to be here, Katie. Thank you so much.
0: First, let's start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. What is your story with food and fitness and how did you become a dietitian?
1: Yes. So I have always been an active person. So growing up, I played three sports in high school and went on to play a sport in college. So I kind of always identified as an athlete and an active person. After college, I took up running and A big portion of that was because it was easy and free, and I really like to kind of just be outside. And I met my now husband, who was a college track and cross-country coach. So he was in the running environment, too, so I'm sure that contributed a little bit. So now I'm a big runner. I love just being outside, hiking, running, everything like that. In terms of food, I actually am a career changer. So my undergrad was actually in sports business. So going back to that athletic realm, I always thought I wanted to work in college sports and kind of had a family business growing up, so thought I kind of wanted to stay within that realm. And I kind of teeter-tottered for a few years after college, and I tell people I figured out what I did not want to do. and, Really, just I don't even know how it happened, but developed this passion for food and healthy eating. And I think looking back, it was a little bit disordered. Like, I really wanted to learn more about nutrition to be healthier and help everyone else be, and I'm using air quotes, be Mm -hmm. healthier. And um, so I went back to school. I got my MPH, my master's of public health, and became an RD. And since then, my views on nutrition have changed a lot.
0: Yeah. I love that you say that looking back, you know, maybe your views were somewhat disordered because unfortunately I feel like that is so much of many dietitian stories is, you know, I got into nutrition because I was really focused on it in that season of life. So what were some things that you saw specifically in the running community, looking back that maybe were a little bit disordered in terms of food and, and fitness?
1: Yeah, I think so much of it stems back to just this thin ideal, this culture that this diet culture that we are all inundated with and thinking that you have to be one specific body size to succeed or to be fast. And the messages that are thrown at you is, you know, you have to eat less to look this way. So I think that was just the big message. And I never had an eating disorder. And I don't think I would even classify myself as disordered eating, but I do think I bordered on forms of orthorexia, just thinking that foods were, some were good and bad and some foods were better than others and kind of figuring out like, okay, I'm, I know what to do for myself. Now let me help everyone else type mm. thing. And yeah,
0: we're in that like badge of honor as, as the health, health expert for sure.
1: Right. And then once you get into it, I mean, it's, it's just, there's so much to learn and it's so fascinating. I mean, food and nutrition in and of itself, but definitely for me, it stemmed from wanting to make myself healthier.
0: Mm. So interesting. And I love today's topic. What we're going to talk about specifically is carbohydrates. You brought up the fact that, you know, looking at food is good versus bad. And specifically when it comes to active women, carbohydrates tend to be very feared. So let's start by breaking down what exactly carbs are. Let's start with like, maybe, maybe we put yourself in that moment when you were in school and you were learning, what were some of the things that were just kind of mind blowing to you, especially as an athlete?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let's be basic biochemistry. It's carbs are just strands of carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and they are the macronutrient group that for some reason is just really Feared in our society today. And they are typically supposed to be the majority of our diet. You know, the Institute of Medicine, the recommendations are 40 to 65%. But there's so many voices in our culture today that are saying low carb or carbs make you gain weight, make you gain fat. So there's this huge fear of carbs in general. But I just like to tell my clients when we break it down, like, Carbs are in most of the food groups we see. And there's a reason for that. I mean, they are the majority of the macronutrients that we need. So we're talking breads, grains, fruits, vegetables, dairy products, sweets, anything like that. All of those have carbohydrates. And when we simplify it, it's really just energy. We're breaking down those carbohydrates into sugars that our body can use. So when we're talking about an athletic population, specifically active women, that is really the fuel for our activity. I mean, it is what we're going to run on. It's what's going to keep us going, steady state exercise. If we're trying to PR or reach a personal best or just improve exercise, it's really what's going to fuel that as well. You threw out that
0: that range, like 40 to 60%. And I want to talk about that for a minute because for me as a dietitian working in private practice as well, you know, assessing somebody's, you know, air quotes diet, looking at their eating patterns, a lot of times for many women, that majority, right? So if we're looking at their total energy, you know, over half should come from carbohydrates. What do you typically see in this general population? Like, where would you guess that that falls typically?
1: Uh, It's hard to answer. So I think in my population, I am seeing probably at least 50% of their diet is carbs. They feel bad about it though. They feel guilty Mm -hmm. that they're eating bagels or that they're eating sweets at night. And if they're not exercising, they shouldn't be earning it. But when I look at their whole diet as a whole, I think the majority of calories are coming from carbohydrates, but the caveat is there's just not enough calories in general. So the proportion Mm -hmm. is skewed. They're just Mm under eating restricting. And sometimes it's unconsciously or just not knowing how much their body needs. But in general, I think all of the macronutrients are muted to where they should be. Yeah.
0: You know, you talked about the reasons that our bodies need carbohydrates. Let's talk about the brain for a little bit. What is your knowledge about, you know, let's say the minimum amount of carbs needed for just the brain?
1: Yeah. So, I I mean, there's this number that's been thrown around and I honestly don't know where it came from. Maybe you do, but I'm sure there's some research studies showing that 130 grams is the minimum amount of carbohydrates needed per day, just for your brain. Our brain runs on glucose. So again, that's the broken down carbohydrate. So a lot of times people aren't thinking about that when they're thinking about carbohydrates, they're thinking just about muscles or liver or fueling their body. But when they're coming with symptoms of fatigue or brain fog or can't concentrate, we're like, well, how much carbohydrates are you eating? I mean, that is really the easiest, simplest, quickest form of energy for your brain.
0: Can you give an example? You know, if somebody listening is like not in the macro range, I'm sure there's many people listening who have experience with counting macros and can say, oh, 130 grams, I know exactly what that looks like. But what might that amount look like for? You know, in portion size, let's say, for somebody eating in a day,
1: yeah. so one hundred and thirty grams might sound like a lot of carbs to your point for someone without too much knowledge or who's speaking in macronutrients. But when you break it down, it's really forty grams of carbs, three meals a day. When you look at it that way, it's it's really not that much. I mean, that's less than a bagel. Less yeah, like two it's I mean, it's two pieces of bread, maybe a piece of fruit per meal. Not not counting everything else in your meal, right? Right. So, but that means, I mean, throughout the day, people are so afraid of eating bread, and your brain alone needs upwards of six pieces of bread a day just to function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that
0: fact, and you're right. I'm not quite sure exactly where that number came from as well. We'll have to find it and link it in the show notes. But it, it's just interesting when you put it into perspective. You know, there is so much fear around carbohydrates and the amount. And it's, you know, us as experts, it's really hard to get across that point. Like, no, your body actually needs it. So where do you feel that carbs get such a bad rap? Like, where does that come from? Where do you see that, especially showing up in sport?
1: Yeah. Personally, I think it comes from the fact that people think, first of all, they think carbohydrates are only these sweet foods. Like they're thinking about highly palatable foods. And they're equating that to carbohydrates and not remembering that carbs are found in in pretty much all foods we eat, whether you're talking about legumes, grains, fruits, vegetables, dairy, I mean, there's carbs in that. So I think it's really an uneven fight when you look at it like that, because people are grouping all of carbs into this one category. Another reason I think that carbs get this bad rap and I'm using air quotes here is this obesity epidemic that we live in and doctors, medical professionals, maybe without adequate nutrition knowledge, influencers that are just equating, you know, insulin resistance just to eating too many carbohydrates or diabetes and obesity. And it's, they're linking it all back to carbohydrates. When as dieticians, we know it's much more complicated than that and weight stigma, weight bias, all of that plays a role. But people are simplifying it to there has to be some sort of evil, right? There has to be someone to blame. And and right now it's just carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, we have to point the finger at one thing. And I think it, you're right that air quotes epidemic, it's what can we focus on? How can we make this <laughs> marketable? Well, well, if we blame it on just carbs alone, well, then we can market low carb diets. Right. And you're right. it, It is so much more complicated than that. What are other things that, you know, you mentioned that contribute to insulin resistance. You mentioned that a lot of people will just say, oh, it's, it's just carbs, but what's part of the bigger
1: picture? Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing is stress. And a lot of people aren't recognizing that and whether you're stressing about the carbs or the diet, right? Like all of that can kind of go in activity, genetics, genetics is a big thing that that we don't give credit to. And a lot of that is out of our control, which is hard for people to, you know, they want to control everything and be in control. But I think social environment, a lot of things like that play a role. Even the weight bias, going back to that, if people are afraid to go see their doctor and maybe they had some warning signs that taking medication or just some lifestyle changes might help, but they're not getting that support or that knowledge because they're afraid that the doctor's automatically going to assume they're eating poorly or not exercising or just overeating or whatever it is. That just because of their body size, they won't be treated the yeah. same way that someone in a smaller body would.
0: Yeah, there, there's so many more pieces of the puzzle, you know, or slices of the pie that make up whatever it is that's going on versus just carbs itself. So let's talk about nutrient timing, especially when it comes to carbs. What are the recommendations pre-workout, post-workout? What does that look like in terms of maybe some examples of what that could look like?
1: Yeah, certainly. So Generally speaking, I mean, carbohydrates before exercise is the consensus. And, and for runners, I, I don't see that as hard. I mean, we usually gravitate towards bananas or waffles or something like that. But I think there's this idea that they don't need them before exercise. Like, we, I don't need to eat anything. I can just wake up and exercise. So the longer that someone is going out to exercise, the the more carbohydrates they should be consuming. And the longer amount of time they have before exercise, the more carbohydrates they should be consuming. But the idea behind carbohydrates before exercise is just to give your body that glucose to run on, essentially that fuel for them to use for exercise that's going to power the muscles contracting, keep the heart beating, keep the blood sugar stable, and all of that. So a small meal, I mean, it could be as easy as a banana or a glass of juice. That's actually something that I recommend to a lot of people who might complain of having a sensitive stomach or, you know, nothing sits in my stomach if I eat before I exercise or toast, oatmeal, waffles. Yeah. What tips do you have
0: for that person who, because I hear this all the time, right? Oh, well, I feel better if I don't eat before I work out in the morning. You know, what are some of the pros and cons to that? And how do you help people navigate that piece?
1: Yeah. And you're right, Katie, this is a common one. And and it's really like a case by case basis. I mean, if someone's going out for a 30 minute exercise bout or workout, it's not really gonna make or break anything if they don't eat. But a lot of times I just phrase it as an experiment. Like, how do you feel if you do eat before exercise? How do you feel if you're hydrated? What does even half of a banana look like starting small, something like that. But other tricks that can help with some of the digestive discomfort is making sure they are hydrated. So dehydration is already a stress on the body. And when you think about starting exercise running, especially it's, it's very jostling and the blood flow rather than going to the digestive system is going to the extremities. So Mm -hmm. if you're dehydrated, there's going to be less water in your system to begin with.
0: Especially first thing in the morning, right? You're waking up already for most people in a dehydrated state.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if anything, I'm always recommending just have a glass of water, add an electrolyte beverage to it, or better yet something with carbohydrates and liquid nutrition can suffice in that instance. Yeah. Liquid nutrition. That's such a piece that I think if we're talking about fear foods as well,
0: That's one that's really common that people don't look at because juice has too much sugar and it's bad for you, right? When the reality is, I love that word of looking at it, liquid nutrition, because that's what it is.
1: And it's simple, especially for people who, you know, seem to stress about the planning or you're traveling somewhere. I mean, you can always have a water bottle with you and add something to it. But to your point, I mean, yeah, there's this when I'm going through consultations with clients and trying to see, okay, do you have any food rules and and they say no and then obviously we dig in and things come up and it's like, well, I can't drink anything with calories, you know, like I drink water and I can't have juice or I can't have a milkshake or chocolate milk, you know anything like that. It's just I save the calories for eating and we really dig down like where did that rule come from? Who mm. told you that you can't do that? Do you like? orange juice, what what would it be like to try it before a run? How would you feel? So a lot of it is really just myth-busting, but also just experimenting, like really putting the ball in their court to say, like, you have thought this for a long time, but what would it be like if it wasn't what you thought? What would it be like if you could have this before exercise? Or what would a run feel like when you're not hitting the wall or you're not bowing over because you're so tired after 20 minutes?
0: Yeah, creating their own experiences to kind of negate that that food rule. So what about so what we talked about pre-workout a little bit. What is like the timing reference you gave us an idea of like the amount or some ideas should somebody aim to eat 30 minutes before, 2 hours before, what's kind of the ideal?
1: Yeah, so a lot of this too will depend on how far they're going, but I think 30 to 60 minutes is a pretty good window, especially if it's, you know, something less than an hour. Something longer, like someone running a half marathon or a full marathon, I might suggest a couple hours before. And the reason for that is I'd probably want you to get more than 30 grams of carbs in. I'd want you to get a little bit more in and therefore allow more time for your body to digest it. But it's the sports nutrition recommendations are one to four grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight one to four hours before. So if it's an hour before consuming 30 grams per kilogram of body weight. And going back to the experimentation, that's kind of
0: a big range, right? And so it depends on the person and and how they feel and what feels best as far as how soon or how far away. What about post-workout?
1: Yeah. So post-workout, again, there is a need for nutrition. You're not done once you finish that workout and lift that last rep or finish that last sprint, you're not done until you start the post-workout replenishment Mm -hmm. routine. So generally speaking, we're saying a mixture of carbohydrates and protein. And the reason for that is carbohydrates, you've just depleted them or used a bunch of them throughout your workout. And we want to replenish them so your body can store them for future workouts. And and glycogen is what we use for the storage term. And carbohydrates are also going to help your body minimize that protein breakdown and start the repair process. They're going to help raise insulin, which can be anabolic, and that's going to help your body start gaining more muscle because as you're exercising, and you know this as a trainer, you're, you know, breaking down that muscle. So we need to start the repair process. So we say both together, and I try not to have clients think too much about this, you know, just pick something that you like. Chocolate milk can be great. If you have no appetite after exercise, which is common, I was going to ask about that because that's a huge one. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not hungry after I eat Mm -hmm. again, just use that liquid nutrition. Smoothies can be great to sip on. Um, Again, just mixing. They have all in one nutrition products that you can mix into water. So you're getting carbohydrates, electrolytes and hydration all in one, or just starting with bland food, sometimes like salty chips or things like that. Sound good to people chicken broth, um, salty
0: chips. Yes. You can eat salty chips post-workout. You heard it here folks. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) And if you didn't work out, you can eat salty chips, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. But that's a great example, right? Because so why are
1: salty chips a great example? Yeah. I mean, well, they're carbohydrate rich and then you're getting some sodium, which is the main electrolyte you're deplenishing, deplenishing. I think I just made that up. You're depleting throughout your workout. There you go.
0: Yeah. I love that. And, you know, when we start to think about carbohydrates from this factual standpoint, right. And understanding them, it can help to start to remove some of that fear. So what about, is there anything during workouts that people should know about in terms of carbohydrates and what's happening and do they need to fuel, you know, you see people drinking like, I know it's protein, but BCAAs and different concoctions during their workout. What's the need for that?
1: Yeah. So during your workout, there's especially as you start to get longer over the hour mark, we do recommend adding carbohydrates in. And if you're doing something like a triathlon or something on the bike, you'll probably be able to eat a little bit more substantial things, maybe with more protein and fat, just because it's less jostling. But if we're talking with runners specifically, um, we're just mostly recommending carbohydrate based foods, whether that's dried fruit, whether that's gels, chews liquid nutrition. Sometimes runners like to make energy bites, things like that dates with peanut butter. And we're recommending 30 to 60 grams an hour. Now for the people who, again, think that maybe carbohydrates won't impact their performance, or it's just going to upset their stomach. There's a lot that, you know, we trial beforehand, because I remind them that your stomach can be trained, it is a trainable Mm. muscle. So practice makes perfect in this scenario. But also, decreasing fiber before a run could help staying hydrated when you're in the heat, just recognizing that that could make things a little bit worse too. And also taking carbohydrates with fructose and glucose together can be helpful too, just because our body absorbs them through different transporters. So it kind of helps us get more efficient fuel. I like yeah. To
0: say. can you ex- can you break that down a little bit for listeners and kind of explain what you mean by that or what what to look for?
1: Yeah. And this is, this is more so for people who are going longer than an hour, even longer than two hours. But for people who maybe are having trouble taking in enough fuel or having some gut issue, our body can only digest and absorb so much glucose per hour. so that's why we usually say 30 to 60 grams. But if you're, and that's because there's one transporter to do it. But if we're adding in fructose, which is just another sugar, it's another form of carbohydrate, that uses a different transporter than our glucose. So rather than saturating one transporter, we're able to use a different one, which helps our body absorb more energy, which helps our muscles contract more and helps us run faster and helps prevent that hitting the wall feeling. So while people start to freak out when I say, oh, you should be taking in more, let's trial this. I have to remind them, what's the ultimate goal here? I mean, do you want to get to the finish line without hitting the wall? Do you want to get faster? Do you want to stay healthy and, you know, keep your immunity high because carbohydrates can help with that? Do you Mm -hmm. want to prevent injury, right? So a lot of it is tying back. It's not just, we're not just telling you to eat just to eat. I mean, there's really a performance benefit to this.
0: Yeah. It's learning to trust your body and really get in tune with what it's trying to tell you and, and, you know, work smarter, not harder. What are some examples of those that people might do where they can utilize both transports? is there? Does it come in a powder form? Or are there certain products on the market? Or are there certain foods that are easy that would accomplish that same goal?
1: Yeah. So perhaps the easiest food is honey. Um, that's a great one with fructose. And that's, that's as pure as it gets. But there's a lot of brands out there, Honey Stinger being one of them that's created gels and chews with a honey a fructose and glucose mix. And let's see some other ones are Muir Ener- Energy. I think most brands probably have have that now because that's pretty researched in the sports nutrition world and everyone's competing to try to get the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just as a reminder
0: to listeners, like there are so many products out there, right. And doing your due diligence or, you know, working with someone who specializes in sport like yourself to understand what am I taking and why am I taking it? Right. Because you may or may not need it, right? <laughs> or it's or just an expensive, could be an expensive snack that you don't necessarily need.
1: Totally. And recognizing to your point that, yeah, there's so many options out there. So if one doesn't work, it's, it doesn't mean that none will work for you. I mean, mm-hmm. there's different tastes, different textures, and sometimes depending on your stress levels, what's going on, the intensity of your run, some will work some days and won't work other days. So it's kind of like a puzzle that we're trying to, to work on and, and we're working months ahead of race day, just to kind of trial it, to make sure that we've figured it out to the best of our ability. At least you you can handle it. And you're practicing taking feeling in at various intervals throughout that, that run to make sure that you're feeling the effects of it. And I
0: love that you said that the stomach is trainable because it's so true. And it, it is, it just takes practice. And the more you do it, the more that you learn, with each experiment experiment. So what about training low, right? We hear this all the time, explain this. What is the problem with it? Why is it, why should we not do keto and also Mm -hmm. try to train either short-term or long-term? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So this is not really anything I would ever recommend to, to my runners, but there is this idea that training low, and essentially it's just having your body adjust, uh, upregulate certain molecules to, to burn more fat during your run. So, or like yeah. fast is the, is this the same as like fasted cardio that people always talk about? Yeah. I think that's the main idea. Like, Oh, I'm going to just burn the fat, but your body doesn't work that way. I mean, it's your, there's going to be side effects. So this idea with training low is, you're minimizing carbohydrate intake and before and around workout. So it's, it's strategic. And I think some people might just go ahead and call it a low carb diet, or maybe even go to the extent of keto, which is like 30 grams of carbs a day or something insane. Mm-hmm. If you think back to what we talked about your brain needs. Um, but yeah, so this idea that by doing that, you're upregulating certain things in your mitochondria to burn more fat, because essentially fat is almost like um never ending fuel source, whereas carbohydrates are finite, which is true. That's why we want you to take them in at intervals. So, so you're not depleting those muscle stores completely. The problem with this is, well, there's lots of problems, but first off, I, I see how it leads to, you know, good and bad foods or black and white mentality and creating this fear of carbohydrates. So that's one problem. The second problem is that it really, we talked about training your gut. So if you're really essentially training your gut to take in fats, well, what happens when you do tar- start to take in more carbohydrates, it's going to be really uncomfortable. So there's this idea that when you're training low, like maybe you, you do all of this practice, you're training with a higher fat diet and you're not taking carbs in during your workout. You're not replenishing your workout with carbs and your body is quote unquote adjusting. But then you get to race day and you take carbs in. And that's probably the worst idea you could do because you're just not trained. That Gatorade at the aid station, I imagine just, oh,
0: the cramps.
1: <laughs> right. You're going to have so, so much GI discomfort. Um, but then we talk about, you know, if, if your goal is to get faster or PR um, or increase performance the research is just not there for training low to do that. You need carbohydrate availability for your fast twitch muscle fibers, period.
0: Yeah. You see this all the time. I, I mean, I still see articles and things popping up about like keto athletes and things like that. And I, while I think, and I would love to hear your opinion, you know, I think there's probably athletes out there that it's possible and they, they perform just fine, but I would agree with you. I just don't think the research there is there to support it long-term. And I also think it's very much more complicated. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a lot of effort for, uh, is it really worth it?
1: Yeah. Uh, And a lot of people, they do it. I mean, if you're running for two days straight or a hundred K or like these insane amounts, I do think to an extent it's helpful that your body can do that, but I wouldn't completely void you of carbohydrates either, right? I do think there's a middle ground. And especially if we're talking about staying healthy, your immune system and your risk of injury, I mean, all of that plays in. And even the people who say, well, I absolutely cannot stomach any carbohydrates during exercise. So I'm just, I'm just gonna, you know, become fat adapted. That's another term or train low. And there's so much that I would want to work on with that individual before getting to, like, that would be an absolute last resort. I mean, what about a carbohydrate mouth rinse? Like there's, there's a lot of research about just just swishing. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it lights up your receptors in your brain. So talk about that carbohydrate brain connection. And then, you know, staying hydrated, avoiding NSAIDs before exercise, minimizing fiber. Like there's so much that we could work on adding a probiotic before resorting to something like that. So I would just hope that people, I just want to spread that message, you know, like it doesn't, if you don't think you can stomach carbohydrates, maybe you're just not trying the right things.
0: And I love, I love how you said, just remembering to look at the bigger picture, right? Because that's how so many people land up in my office is that they've tried keto or they've tried low carb maybe for a period of time maybe with the intention of optimizing performance or becoming fat adapted but then long term it's created so much fear around food and so much stress and this just really negative overall relationship with food and exercising their bodies and you know for somebody listening i would just challenge you to ask yourself you know is it worth it weigh the pros and cons you know probably long term if it's not sustainable probably not the best choice.
1: Totally. And the other thing I want to add, knowing that most of your demographic listeners are female, is that women are different than men. I mean, men might have a little bit more success with this, but we have different hormones. We have menstrual cycles, and there's a lot of research right now, thanks to Stacey Sims, who is kind of spearheading this like women are not small men initiative, is really a lot of the research has just been on men. It hasn't been on women. So they're using data to extrapolate to women. And now we're learning that we don't react the same way. So fasting or a low carb diet or keto for a woman is going to be a lot more detrimental.
0: That's so interesting. And that's such a great point of that. uh, Going back to the research again, the media will just pull out, you know, these one sentences or these one lines, and it's really not looking at the bigger picture or you specifically. Can you touch on that briefly? You know, what are some of the reasons that we need carbohydrates, especially in terms of hormonal health?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, one thing is in terms of brain fog or concentration. So I see this a lot, and I'm sure you do too, Katie. When you're seeing clients who maybe have had a long history of restriction, I mean, there's brain fog, they're just, they're not all there cognitively. And that's because not having enough carbohydrates or energy in general really affects our brain space. So that's one thing. But another thing is our hormones just need all of the macronutrients. If, if we're not getting enough carbohydrates, our cortisol, our stress hormone is going to be chronically high. And that affects a lot of things in our body. And that's even if we're doing all of the other things, right. Like we're getting enough sleep we're exercising and, you know, we're seeing our doctor on a regular basis. But if we're, if we're not eating enough and enough carbohydrates, I mean, things will still be out of whack.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we could just talk forever about how much you need carbohydrates and why they're, they're so good for you and they don't need to be a, something to be feared, but you've dropped so so many golden nuggets today. Is there any just final tips that you want to leave with our listeners of why they shouldn't fear carbs or like why carbs are great?
1: If they take anything away, what should they remember? I I would just put it simply carbs taste good. But honestly, if if you're thinking about foods you like nine times out of 10, people think about that comforting meal or something that's carbohydrate based, whether it's something sweet, something cozy, something comforting, whether it's a family recipe, and it's usually all carbohydrate based. And there's a reason for that. I mean, our bodies want this, this nutrient, this macronutrient and food is more than fuel, this idea that you only need carbohydrates to fuel activity, but you know, just the general population, we all need carbohydrates for all of these other reasons that we've mentioned too. So yeah, I think that would be my final nugget. Just rather than fear carbs, just see them as an essential part of something that you are allowed to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Instead of fearing it, just embrace it.
0: And it makes life that much better, right? I think so. Well, where can
1: our listeners find you and learn more? Sure. So I am at bucketlisttummy.com and I post recipes that are all carbohydrate adequate on there. And I'm most active on Instagram. I'm bucketlisttummy underscore RD. And I also have a podcast called Nail Your Nutrition, and that's all about adequate fueling for sport. So a lot of the stuff we talked about today, we go in depth more about hydration, carbohydrates, fueling for activity, things like that. Love it. Well,
0: we will be sure to link all of those in the show notes. And if you guys go check out on Instagram, give Sarah a follow. And if you enjoyed this episode, screenshot it, tag us both so that we can continue this conversation and help people not be scared of carbohydrates because they're delicious and we need them. (laughs) Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.